Good morning, movie friends, and welcome back to the Court of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Logan, and weekly you can catch me talking about this wide landscape of film and TV. In this week's feature presentation, we're talking about Drive, starring Ryan Gosling. There's a lot of different personalities that have been made to classify specific men under. There's a total of six, but only three have really cemented themselves into society the most. There's number one, the beta male, and the beta male is friendly, they're loyal, reserved, submissive, they follow leaders, they're more of a golden retriever boy scout. And by all means, we love our betas. Are they quote-unquote the weakest? Yeah, sure. They're a role player. But every player in this game has a part to play. Whether you're one of the worst or one of the strongest ones, you have a job to fulfill, and betas do a very good job at that. Now, the alpha male is one of the more popular and has been around for a long time. They're dominant, influential, assertive. They maintain a high level of intelligence and power, and the alpha male is what every single male strive to be. But there's one more male that has grown to popularity more recently, which is the Sigma male. What is a Sigma? A Sigma is an introverted alpha male without a pack. They are the men who you would call quote-unquote lone wolves. It is a new addition to the personality hierarchy dominated by alpha males. Sigmas are successful, good-looking, dominant, and influential, but they tend to be loners, which we're going to talk about in today's episode for Drive. Now, what Gen Z has done is taken a lot of fictional characters, labels them as Sigma, literally me characters, and uses them as role models in life, for better or for worse. Some specific examples would be like Matt Reeves' The Batman. You can be vengeance. You can become this monster of a figure. This is what a lot of gym bros tend to take after. You can reject modernity, embrace masculinity with Tyler Durden from Fight Club. And one of my personal favorites, you can also be Travis Bickle and be almost like an outcast to society. Someone who's betrayed by society and tries to be their own hero in a very, very reckless way. But no matter what kind of Sigma you're looking at, all of them follow the same common rule, which is Sigma males always have a crippling mental illness that they refuse to address in a healthy way. But most importantly, they look very cool while doing it. And that brings us into our main feature presentation of Drive, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. It is adapted by a novel written by James Salas under the same name. And the trailer for this movie is cut in a way to make it seem like it's a completely different film. It's cut in a way to make it seem like it's a high-paced action film that's almost like Fast and Furious with Ryan Gosling. A Michigan resident filed a lawsuit against the distributor of Ryan Gosling's thriller, claiming the film had very little driving and claimed the trailer was very misleading. And by all means, for the average movie watcher, going to this movie, you're probably expecting a completely different thing. Me, I was expecting more of a heist movie, similar to maybe Baby Driver or maybe Heat. But instead, this movie works as almost instead a existential modern superhero fable. Inspiration for this movie, you can see, definitely has been drawn from movies like Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo or Clint Eastwood's Spaghetti Westerns, which those kind of movies follow the loner, introverted characters who find their place into society. And this movie masters that perfectly. So in this movie, Ryan Gosling speaks 116 lines in the entire film. And for a little bit of perspective on that, in this 100-minute runtime, that's barely even a line a minute. So instead of just using dialogue for characterization, you're using the actor's acting skills, you're using music, you're using the camera work to really give characterization to this character we know little to nothing about. And by the end of the film, we don't know too much about him either. We don't get a ton of background for this character, which is one of my biggest positives for this movie. Ryan Gosling said, For me, the driver is a guy who watched too many movies. He was confusing his life for all the films he had seen and all the heroes that he wanted to be. So for a character like the driver who 
isn't giving too much dialogue for a scene, you have to rely on different methods of filmmaking to carry out characterization. And through this movie, I think that they accomplish something very, very well, which is storytelling through needle drops. With needle drops, it can be used very, very well or very, very bad. In this movie, I think they used it absolutely incredibly. They used a lot of diegetic sound and a little bit of non-diegetic sound. But with diegetic sound, it's sound that is placed within the scene. And non-diegetic sound is everything that's happening outside of that. So maybe in the character's head or something. So in this movie, they use three songs that are used very well to really encapsulate and show what this character's journey really is by the end. And if you listen to the lyrics as well, they can just tell you everything about what this character is maybe feeling or thinking or what we're supposed to think about this character. Those three songs in particular are Night Call by Kavinsky, A Real Hero by College and Electric Youth, and my personal favorite song, Under Your Spell by Desire. And we're going to talk about a little bit in depth here about all these three songs and their importance in this movie. So let's start from the beginning one last time with Night Call by Kavinsky. The driver is our stoic hero. The driver works repairing cars and as a Hollywood stunt driver by day and a getaway driver for criminals by night. Driving through the night and down the hills, there's something inside of him that's just so hard to explain. The emotion that's expressed by Ryan Gosling can say a thousand words, and the cinematography and sound design for this movie is a beautiful display of visual storytelling. And we follow the story of this loner hero trying to become something bigger than himself in this city. His biggest weakness is probably just trying to fit in with society and be a normal human being. I mean, he sees a girl that he likes in the grocery store and turns the other way around and walks the other way, which is pretty weird. For every Spider-Man, there is a Mary Jane or a Gwen Stacy. For every Superman, there's a Lois Lane. I mean, a hero's love interest is probably just as much, if not more important than the hero themselves and for how they push the hero along. A hero finds someone. So what's a hero if there isn't someone that he puts everything on the line to fight for? Or if they lose that one person, how far they can be pushed over the edge and how far they'll fight just to keep them alive. I think that's what really makes a real hero. Driver starts spending a lot of time with Irene and Benicio, develops a real genuine bond with Benicio and the chemistry and attraction between Irene and him develops into an unspoken romance. The driver finds the girl and the child which he believes can give him the one chance at a normal life. The chance to be a real human being or just a real hero. In this scene in the movie, it's my favorite scene in the movie just because this is one of the few times we see the driver smile in the entire movie. You can really count on one hand the amount of times you see him smile. It's maybe four or five times. Why this moment is so special and it's filmed very beautifully with the sunset just sweeping across the city. It's important because the driver is living in the moment. And what I mean by that is whenever we're living in life, we're never truly living in the moment. Rarely do we ever live in the moment and make a memory. I mean, just right now, when you're, if you're sitting here listening to this podcast, you're thinking about when, what maybe happened five, ten minutes ago, or you're thinking about what you have to do right after this is over, or whatever it is. But when you're with someone that you truly care about, someone that you truly love, and why love is so special is that when you're with that person, it's like a door to a different world just opened up. 
an escape from your life right now, which maybe you love, maybe you make a lot of money, but truly without that one person that you share a bond with, it really doesn't even matter. I mean, when you're with someone, when you're with a special person, you don't have to care about what you look like, what you dress, what you wear. It's just the moment. It's the moment that matters. Nothing else matters but that one moment you're sharing with that one person. And that's what this scene shows so beautifully. Truly shows what love can be. Shortly after this, Benicio's father is released from prison and all of the driver's chances at being with her are destroyed. This doomed romance comes to a halt. But when you lose the most important person in the world, where would all the love go? Love that you never knew you were capable of? All those memories are just lost in time forever. More importantly even is what kind of spell are you haunted by and how do you choose to move forward after that heartbreak? Under your spell. The driver is under her spell of what once was and forever cursed by the thought of what could have been. Under a spell that may never even be lifted. In this scene, I love so much the directing that Nicholas Refn accomplished here by cutting between Irene and the driver. And the reason being is that both of them are still reminiscing on what could have been. And the song that's playing in the background is diegetic sound, so it's happening inside the scene is under your spell. It's just such a perfect needle drop for this moment because Irene and the driver are just under a spell of their past lives and that moment they spent together because that was real love. And that moment they spent together is just forever lost in time, but it still lives with you. Even if he doesn't really talk to her too much because Benioso's father is back, there's still just that moment that they share together and they'll always live with him forever, for better or for worse. So Benicio's father is free and out of jail, but he still owes money to the mob. That is what really propels the driver into his real super hardcore Sigma mentality because Irene is in danger. And that's why I talked about earlier how every Spider-Man has their Mary Jane or their Gwen Stacy, their Aunt May. Every Superman has their Lois Lane for a reason because it's pushing them. It's what's really driving them. It's their driving force. Love is that thing, willing to do anything for that one person. So when that person is in danger, that's when our protagonist can get a little scary. So they plan a pawn shop robbery to free Benicio's father of his debt. So what I love so much about this robbery is how the driver is not working for any money. He's only working for Benicio and Irene's safety. He gains nothing from this job except for that. He's not working for the money. He doesn't care about a single cent. Like, meanwhile, in every other heist he does, yeah, sure, he'll take a little bit of a pay cut. But for this, it's only about love. That's the only thing he's fighting for here. There's a quote from Alan Watts where Alan says, we don't say rising into love. We say falling into love. You fall into love. You fall into that beautiful abyss where you're just deeply devoted to this person forever. And that's what love really is, is just doing whatever it takes for this person. No matter how many people call you crazy, think you're insane, you still do it no matter what. This job is so personal. We see in the beginning of this movie, just the parallels to the first heist to now, even the way it's shot and the stakes in the beginning of the movie, it's more calm and here is so much more tense because we care so much about the outcome of this robbery. The outcome of this robbery is that it was all a setup. We see Benicio's father gets shot by this shop owner. This part of the movie is very cool. This is where most of the movie is really told. It's not like your action getaway like Fast and Furious or anything, but instead it really just shows 
the consequences from the heist. We see how the money from this heist is like a trail of blood or a curse throughout the entire movie. So it went from just a one quick one and done heist, now turned into this big cataclysmic event just because of this money from this robbery. But I love after this, we really get a look into what the driver really is capable of, like the 1v2 he was able to take on in that apartment room, which is taking off the window bar, then just taking the guy's shotgun and shooting the other guy. That was pretty cool and pretty dark stuff. We don't really get too much of his past, but we get a little glimpses in Tesa, which is pretty cool. So after he obtains the money, he has the money, it's, he's, he's in a lot of danger, but he just wants to just kind of get rid of it and just move on and move out. He's able to go and visit Irene one last time, and this is one of my favorite scenes. He wants to talk to her. He tells her about the heist and the trouble that Benicio's father was in. But still, even this moment, he doesn't take any cut of the money. He offers her the money to take and just maybe Irene, Benicio, and the driver can just move out and just move on into a peaceful life, he offers her. That's really what he wants. He doesn't really want this trail of blood that's following them. But in the elevator, this is my favorite scene. It's very beautiful cinematography as well, the elevator scene. We see that one of the members from Nino's mob is in the elevator with them and wants to kill him and Irene because they're some of the last people that are attached to this money. So this kiss scene is very beautiful. It's very well done, not only because of the beautiful lighting that's placed here and because it's beautifully scored as well by Cliff Martinez. Narratively, I love this scene because it's the last time the driver and Irene are in the same room together. He knows the actions he's about to commit by killing this person and saving Irene. But it's just more important because it's a kiss goodbye. With the person that you love and the person that you really cherish, the moments matter. And when you're in the moment, it matters. This is another in the moment moment we have here. So the driver grabs Irene. And in what's the last moment they're both together, he grabs her, the camera pushes in, we have the key lighting right in between these two characters. We almost forget about this armed mobster that's right a foot away from them, ready to kill both of them, but he kisses her. And this sequence is everything because it's just showing one that I love you more than anything, but also a goodbye and willing to say goodbye because I love you so much. He knows that this money is danger. He knows that his presence brings danger to her. He knows what he needs to do and after killing this person, she'll most likely want nothing to do with him ever again. And it's just that willingness to make a sacrifice to say goodbye, which speaks volumes to the love that he has for this person. I mean, as exhilarating and as beautiful love can be, the bad can still be there and the bad can still happen to you, whether you want it or not. I mean, looking into her eyes and just without saying words and almost trying to convince himself that maybe there's a chance, but in reality, there's just nothing. So after that brief moment that they shared together, the driver now has to take out this mobster. And I love the transitioning of the camera positioning. We start with just a simple steady cam with Irene and the driver's moment together. And then it transfers to more handheld, very dramatic and wild style of camera movement as he takes out the mobster. We have the camera pointed up at the driver as he's just absolutely curb stopping this person's face in is very very violent and he turns around and he sees Irene just absolutely distraught and I love just the pain in his eyes and his face because now we see yes it's most likely completely over between him and Irene. All of after this moment he meets up with Shannon and he tells him about the money he tells him the mob's coming after them he has to get out of town and Shannon tells him that he told them about Irene and Benicio and Ryan Gosling gives an incredible performance 
he shows the most emotion he's shown in the entire movie by far. And just the anger, though, that's what just makes it so scary that how throughout the whole movie he's stoic, he's calm. But now when he finds out that Irene is really in danger more than ever before, that just really pushes him over. I just what did you the fucking told him about Irene? Calm down. You told him about Irene. Calm down, calm down kid. Just calm down. I should fucking I'm kill you. You told him about Irene. And more importantly, Nino, who's one of the big main mobsters, he stole the money from the East Coast mob, so now it's not so easy as just making it disappear. All the players in this game are in danger of being taken out. All of these pieces in this massive game of chess have to be taken out. This is a quick one, though. The driver kills Nino. He dons his mask, and he just hunts Nino almost like a predator, hunting prey. It's very, very scary. I love, though, also... No one talks about it, but this sequence of the driver coming after Nino in the night with the mask on, it really does feel like a massive, major parallel to Matt Reeves' The Batman. I mean, if you watch the scene, you can definitely see what I'm talking about, how it's like a lot of beats in this chase scene are beats that play out in The Batman, with the car flipping, with the driver walking up to the car to pull Nino out of the car. It's very cool, and no one really talks about it, which they should. So the driver kills Nino, Bernie kills Shannon, now, the only players left on this table are the driver, Bernie, and Irene. So, Bernie sets up a meeting with the driver, and the driver sadly knows this is most likely the end for him. He knows the setup. He knows that Bernie is going to try to come there and kill him to, one, avenge Nino, but also take away the money. So, in this last final moment, this last final meeting between him and Bernie, it's intercut with a phone call he has with Irene, which is so tragic and just soul-crushing in the end of the movie. The driver calls Irene, and he tells her, I have to go somewhere, and I don't think I can come back. But getting to be around you and Benicio was the best thing to ever happen to me. And I love how in the meeting with Bernie, he knows he's smiling, and he knows that Bernie intends to kill him. He intends to kill Bernie as well. He knows he might not come back, but just the smile on his face and the happiness on his face is just that I'm okay with this. I'm okay that maybe it just didn't last, but just the parts of it that did happen, happened, and now they're with me forever. They changed who I am for the better, and the ability to live those experiences with that one person and having that special connection with that one person made it all so much better. So he goes outside to give Bernie the money. Bernie stabs him, he stabs him back. The film fades to black. The driver sits down in his car, and I think this is probably the ultimate hero story. He doesn't take the money. He doesn't care about the money. He just saved the world, except that his world was Irene. There's no credit scene. We're not building towards any big Ryan Gosling universe. But instead, in what's a beautiful parallel to the opening of the movie, the driver drives into the night, but this time it's not as a driver, but as a hero. cinema podcast episode i love this movie so much i love drive it's absolutely great the great ryan gosling my favorite actor of all time hands down barbie i hope it's great fingers crossed i don't want any more disappointing movies after the flash that one was really painful for me to sit through 
You can follow us on our socials linked down below. And that Q&A feature is now live on Spotify. Let me know what movie you want to see next because I'm really not too sure. My letterbox is also down below, which is where you can keep up with all the movies that I watch and maybe see what's coming up next. And until next time, I'm your host, Logan. This has been the Court of Cinema Podcast, and I'll see you in the movies.